Welcome to Southern Discomfort. Hey, everybody. Welcome. If you're new here, then welcome. If you're returning, then welcome back. And we are your hosts, April. I'm Christy. And I'm Kristen. So just quick housekeeping. Uh, Be sure to find us on social media. Give us a follow. Also, if you feel so inclined, you can rate us. And if you like what you hear, leave us five stars on whatever platform you get your podcasts. You can email us at southerndiscomfort at gmail.com. If you have listener a listener-suggested story you'd like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. And with that, Kristen, what's our drink du jour? All right. So I chose the Florida Mule for our drink du jour tonight. It is two ounces of St. Augustine Florida Cane Sugar Vodka and two ounce mule mix, which is four parts lime juice, two parts simple syrup, and one part ginger. You mix that in a copper mug with crushed ice, top it with club soda, and garnish it with fresh mint. Oh, That sounds so refreshing. Man, so you can get this drink when you tour the St. Augustine Distillery or you visit the ice plant bar, which is attached to it. Um, A little fun fact about the distillery. So the distillery in St. Augustine was actually the first to produce and sell spirits legally in Northeast Florida since the Prohibition. I thought that was pretty cool. Wow. That Um, is cool. And we actually learned that my brother was playing Pokemon Go at the bar, and that was a fun fact that popped up on on his game. Um, See, they are educational. You're right. I love it. So I actually ordered this drink at the Ice Plant Bar, and it is so delicious. It's very smooth. And when the bartender put the drink down on the bar, the mint aroma that came from it was just major. It heightened all of my senses. I enjoyed this drink so much that I bought a bottle of the cane sugar vodka to bring home and recreate it. But as we were leaving, the bartender uh, told me that the ice plant bar actually has their own special twist on the mule mix. So I wasn't going to be able to recreate it exactly like they did. I was planning on making it for tonight, but it just it didn't happen. Um, I wanted to say, so as described by the distillery, the sugarcane vodka has a soft round mouthfeel. It's a pleasant natural sweetness. It's got hints of anise white pepper, and molasses. Molasses. It's a vodka that retains its Florida character while rewarding you with a remarkable drinking spirit. Speaking of spirits, <laughs> as you can probably tell, we are traveling back to St. Augustine, Florida tonight. I love it. But this time, uh, we're traveling back to talk about the haunted and grim history of one of the <clears throat> oldest structures in the nation. So if you're a longtime listener, you may already know this from a previous episode, but if not, uh, St. Augustine, Florida is the oldest continuously occupied European established settlement in the continental U.S. The city was founded by Pedro Menendez in 1565, and the first Spanish settlement was successfully established. It was considered the most important city in the region for almost three centuries. The location of the settlement was chosen by the Spanish because it was easy to defend and there was easy access to fresh water. 
So St. Augustine is often referred to as the nation's oldest city. And to many of the locals, it's known as the ancient city. Uh, and after more than 450 years, it's also said to be one of the most haunted cities in America. If you ever want to visit St. Augustine, some of the most notable haunted places are the Casablanca Inn, uh, Flagler College Hotel, the Huguenot Cemetery, the Lighthouse, the Old Jail, Spanish Military Hospital, St. Francis Inn, and then there is most notably Castillo de San Marco, which is the oldest masonry fort in North America that stands on the western shore of Matanzas Bay. This is where we're going to travel to tonight. I've been to St. Augustine. It's so beautiful. It's so romantic. The cobblestone, that's what I really remember. I remember it just reminded me of New Orleans so much. It really does. Um, and then when you walk down the main street, you do get a very New Orleans vibe, but it's very clean and it smells so pretty. Fair. But a lot of what you're seeing, um, unfortunately, is a little bit of a touristy trap. Like there's some really cool yeah. things that are old and historical. Um, and then there's some other things that, unfortunately, I think takes away from the experience because it's very Hey, come buy this shirt here. <laughs> so you definitely need the inside intel if you're going to be able to get the 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 true experience. Is that is that the case? Yeah, I mean, I lived there for so long. Um, I didn't. I, I want to say like I didn't really experience what St. Augustine had to offer um, because I lived there and because I wasn't interested in it. I only wanted to go to the beach. Uh, yeah. But if you do go downtown, there's certain things that I think are like really important to look at. The fort being one of them. There is the oldest schoolhouse that you can tour, which is pretty cool. But one of the most beautiful things in St. Augustine is the Flagler College. And if you get an opportunity to go there and tour it, it's it's beautiful. In fact, it's so amazing that the designer and the uh, owner who was building it said that it was almost too perfect. So he they deliberately misplaced tiles on the floor out of pattern. So it wasn't as perfect. Wow. It, it's just such an incredible story. So that's something that maybe we can talk about in another podcast. But um, I love St. Augustine. It's definitely a great place to visit. I agree. Not so much to live in. Getting too big for its own britches. The traffic is horrible. But uh, so some interesting history about the oldest masonry fort. Despite being attacked many times and besieged twice, the Castillo de San Marcos has never been conquered. Control of the fort has switched peacefully between the Spanish, British, and the U.S. And I think it changed possession five times. During the American Civil War, it was controlled by the Confederacy. The fort was originally named Castillo de San Marco by the Spanish who built it. It was renamed Fort St. Mark by the British when they took it over. In 1821, when Florida became a U.S. territory, the fort was renamed once again, this time becoming Fort Marion. The fort's original name was restored by Congress in 1942. Now, I have a little thought on this. Didn't Congress have some other things going on during this time? Like, I don't know, World War II? What were they doing <laughs> focusing any energy on renaming forts? Just a thought. 
So for me, growing up, I've always called it Fort San Marco, or to be completely honest, I just called it the fort. Um, I've had many school field trips there. I've played tourist, just recently went back to visit family, played tourist again, had picnics on the grass with friends um, with the fort and bay as the backdrop. I mean, it really is a beautiful structure, and I've always kind of looked at it like with a sense of awe. But on the other hand, I had always thought it was just a major tourist trap, like the rest of the city. So I guess, again, like I think I became desensitized to it because I lived there and really what I wanted to do was go to the beach. It wasn't until recently that I started to really understand its significance, its dark history, and its intrigue. So though the Spanish founded St. Augustine in 1565, it was another hundred years before they began building Fort San Marco. The earlier wooden forts, they didn't last long. Some of them burned down, some were washed away by storms, and others just rotted from neglect. There were two events that took place in the mid-1600s that made the Spanish realize they needed to build a stronger fort. The first event was in 1668 when John Davis, also known as Pirate Robert Surleys, the famous buccaneer, attacked St. Augustine. The second event was the founding of South Carolina by the English in 1670. The Spanish crown sent money to St. Augustine to build a stone fortress because the English were now just too close for comfort. So I wanted to talk about this for a second. Um, it is roughly 320 miles from downtown St. Augustine to the state line of South Carolina via today's roadways and roughly 221 nautical miles via the waterways from the port in St. Augustine to the port in Charleston, South Carolina. The primary mode of travel during that time was either walking via water, via horseback, or a horse-drawn carriage. So during my research, I kind of found that in the 16th century, transportation was just starting to get more organized. And it was said that carriages were rather expensive, they were extremely uncomfortable, and the roads were in horrible condition. Probably on par with maybe the New Orleans roadways today. Not sure. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine traveling in the, like, on the NOLA roads in a horse-drawn carriage? And I mean, I'm not yeah. talking about <laughs> the touristy areas where you can already take a horse and buggy tour on the roads that are in pristine condition. I mean, I'm talking like the major potholes, the sinking streets, the uneven gravel. Anyways, we could talk about that forever. Right. But um, so the fort took 23 years to build during its first major construction period. It did go through two major construction periods, but the first being its longest. So in my opinion, I do believe that the English could have traveled that 320 miles, probably stormed, and most likely occupied St. Augustine in that time frame. I guess maybe they were building their settlement. I don't know, but 23 <laughs> years is a long time to not attack right. a place. That's true. So designed by Spanish engineer Ignacio Daza, the fort is a distinctive star-shaped design that was constructed out of coquina, which is the Spanish word for small shells. So essentially, coquina is, an ancient, is ancient shells that have come together to form a semi-rare form of limestone. 
The fort is the only fortification in the world built of coquina besides the Fort Matanzas National Monument, both of which are in Florida. And though it's known for being a light, porous material, it did seem at the time that coquina would be a poor choice for a structure of this magnitude to protect and support the city. But apparently it did have its advantages because where granite and brick fortifications crumbled when impacted by a cannonball, coquina, with the coquina, the cannonball would become buried in the structure, fortifying it further, which is pretty interesting. During the two attacks that the fort suffered, the walls never caved. Another little fun fact is that there is a house that you can visit in St. Augustine where you can see an actual cannonball that was allegedly fired into a structure, into the structure by an enemy ship as the town was under attack. And I say allegedly because there is a house that's kind of right in front of it, in front of the cannonball house that's considered to be one of the oldest houses still standing. And this old house kind of blocks the cannonball house facing the river. So there is speculation as to how this could have actually happened. However, it still is pretty cool to go and see because it looks like the coquina absorbed the cannonball's power and stopped it dead in its track. Some have compared it to like a BB being shot into a block of styrofoam. (laughs) Yeah, because when you said it was made from this shell formation, I'm like, how is that fortified truly? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting, um, the history, and I'll, and I'll get into a little bit of the coquina and how, what they used, but so coquina, um, the, the coquina that was used to build the fort was actually quarried on a nearby Anastasia Island, and it was floated to the building site. So, I mean, no wonder it took 23 years to build. So um, the fort has gone through like numerous updates, refortification and renovation efforts in its lifetime. Most recently, they repaired some major cracks in the walls from shifting foundation. And originally, they tried to repair the cracks with Portland cement, but found that that wasn't such a good idea. It actually caused some irreversible damage to the coquina. Uh, Since then, they've been undoing as much of that damage as they can by replacing it with more coquina and replacing the mortar with limestone-based mortar to help preserve the historic fort. They were actually changing the face of the fort in some areas. It was really interesting, and I'm not sure if the pictures I sent... You guys, um, I'm not sure if you can see that or not. So interestingly, when she was being built, the Masons burned oyster shells, which created lime, and then mixed that with water and sand to make their mortar. Coquina, with its light, porous nature, uh, lets water out. So when it does get wet, it easily dries out, in part because of the millions of microscopic air pockets in it. So I kind of mentioned this because... Some of this information may be relevant as the story unfolds. Another interesting fact, not necessarily relative to the story, but interesting nonetheless, and I thought I wanted to share, um, is that the fort was built, although it was built in part by black slaves owned by the Spanish, it later served as one of the first entry points of fugitive slaves from British North America into Spanish Florida where they were freed by the colonial authorities. So this quickly actually led to the first free black settlement in the future United States, in the future United States, which is Fort Mose, that was formed just north of St. Augustine. I just thought that was an interesting fact that I came across in my research. That is, that is interesting. 
So um, another quick little fact about the fort before we dive into our haunted history. The Castillo de San Marcos was equipped with gunpowder cannons that were made of solid bronze. They were ingrained with a royal coat of arms representing the Spanish king and queen who ruled during the time that the weapons were made. The powerful cannons have since been covered in green patina, but I can only imagine what they look like in their prime. And you can go to St. Augustine and you can sit on these cannons and take pictures and they do fire cannons. I believe it's like two or three times every weekend you can go and actually witness one of these cannons being fired. It's pretty cool. So this 17th century fortress has survived years of battles, storms, pirate attacks, and served as a prison. During its construction, several workers died due to hard labor, heat, and diseases. When it was under Spanish control, it was believed that a hidden room in the lower chambers was used as a torture chamber. It wouldn't be until years later that that room was discovered when a heavy American cannon fell through the floor, revealing a room containing ashes and human bones. Wow. In um, 1702, during a 50-day British attack, hundreds of Indians were captured and enslaved. Dozens of men on both sides of that co conflict were killed. In 1740, during another British surprise attack, hundreds of people lost their lives due to starvation and cholera inside the fort. It has a gruesome history that we'll get into a little bit later as a prison for Native Americans, some who were beheaded for souvenirs. So this fortress has bared witness to many deaths. If walls could talk, I bet these absorbent coquina walls would have some horrifying stories and maybe even a few secrets to tell. For sure. Uh, yeah. So... Do you guys remember what Matanzas means in Spanish and how it got its name? Oh, I do remember I talking was about not ready for this <laughs> pop quiz. <laughs> Sorry, no heads up on that one. Uh, no, right? It's okay, I'll tell you. Okay. So in 1565, the Spanish massacred French forces when they tried to occupy St. Augustine. Yep. And these French forces were already depleted because they had just sailed through a hurricane. But hundreds of men were killed, earning the inlet the name Matanzas, which means slaughters in Spanish. Yeah. Oh, you did. You covered so, that, Chrissy. I know. <laughs> I failed. Okay. Hey, it's okay. So uh, it's really no wonder why the fort sitting on land soaked in blood on the banks of Matanzas Bay, which has often been dubbed the Bloody River, it's no wonder why this would be the home to several restless spirits and paranormal activity. All right. Are you ready? I'm Buckle ready. Up. Buckle up. We are about to travel down a 17th century bumpy road in a horse-drawn carriage. Let's do it. All right. So let's talk about some of its most notable visitors. There are accounts that a local American officer who had an interest in architecture uncovered a hidden room while exploring the fort. It's also been said that he was a tour guide. I really wasn't able to confirm this information, so we're just going to go with the local American officer. So he heard a hollow sound coming from one of the walls. He then investigated and exposed a hidden cavity where inside were two skeletal remains chained to the wall. 
The theory is that they were the remains of missing lovers Dolores and Manuel. In 1784, Spanish Colonel Garcia Marti and his wife Dolores arrived in St. Augustine. The fort was officially under his command, and because of this, he was assigned an assistant named Captain Manuel Abella. Manuel was considered to be a handsome and charming man. Colonel Garcia was supposedly a cold man too occupied with the fort and its soldiers to pay attention to his wife. Dolores was feeling neglected and mistreated and naturally sought love and attention from another man who just so happened to be Captain Abella. <laughs> so she was renowned for wearing a distinctive perfume and apparently she used it liberally. <laughs> so I was curious and wanted to know what her perfume could have smelled like. So in my research, I found that apparently in Spanish 17th century perfume, had opulent notes of jasmine and tuberose. Now, while I was walking around the fort recently, I overheard a ghost tour guide saying that she smelled like roses. What's tuberose? Yeah. And you know, I don't know. And I was going to look that up and I never did. But I'm assuming, or I'm going to assume it's rose. That's what I'm going to make okay. an assumption of. Jasmine it's, smells really good. I, think. I love the smell of jasmine. Yes. It's very pungent. I like it. All right, so one day, Abella reported for his daily meeting with the colonel, and while shaking Abella's hand, the colonel took a deep breath and narrowed his eyes in recognition. He had just smelled his wife's perfume on the captain, and he immediately knew something was amiss. Ooh. By the next day, both Dolores and Captain Abella were missing. Oh. So when questioned, oh. the colonel claimed his wife had suddenly become ill and was taken to her aunt's home to recover. Okay. And he continued to explain that she would be moving back to Spain to live with family. How convenient. Yes. All of a sudden. When he was questioned about the whereabouts of Captain Abella, the colonel claimed that he was sent to Cuba on a special assignment. The colonel was never questioned further. However, many people speculated that something wasn't right because it wasn't like Captain Abella to leave without saying goodbye. He really, he was a truly liked person and he was really missed. That's what I was thinking. Like all of a sudden, neither one of them say goodbye to, to anyone they know. To okay. Yeah. Too convenient. And they both go in two totally different directions, which I get if Ooh, he's like, you know, um, if, what was, I can't remember his position, but yeah, if he's like got to go somewhere, got to deploy somewhere else is what I'm trying to say. That's believable and realistic. But the fact that they both are just gone. On the same at the day, same right at the same time. Yeah, right. that's, it's just crazy. So some have said that uh, Abella is actually still being searched for by spirits roaming the fort because they didn't believe that he was sent anywhere. It wasn't until their skeletal remains were found that it was presumed that they were locked away and starved to death in a small in the small dark cold walls of Fort San Marco. Damn. So like this to me is especially tragic. It kind of gives me the Romeo and Juliet kind of vibes. I mean to come to a country, a new country, be an afterthought to your husband, find new love only to be chained to the wall and not be able to embrace or comfort each other as you watch them slowly starve to death. Right. I mean, it makes poison seem kind of friendly. Yeah, it does. That's brutal. Brutal thought. I mean, yes. But on the other hand, I mean, she did cheat on her husband. She is a thought. Really, <laughs> this really. <laughs> she is a thought. 
this was it deserved to slowly starve to death? Unless Either it was way. not good to her. We don't know. I mean, but. I guess it depends on who you ask. Right. <laughs> if you're asking the husband. <laughs> right. He's like, yep, she deserved that. <laughs> Either way, I mean, it's still pretty heartbreaking, right? Yes. I mean. Tra very tragic. So today it is said that a female spirit thought to be the desolate spirit of Dolores Marti roams the grounds wearing a white dress. Other reports say that the screams of the slowly dying couple can be heard through the stone wall of the room where they were held when visitors placed their ear against the wall. My guess is that the microscopic air pockets in the coquina would make it easier to hear the sound of their screams, which makes me wonder how no one realized what was going on as they starved to death. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. if people went missing on the same day, I don't know how you wouldn't hear... Anyways, I digress. Like they I, were gagged. Were they gagged? If they were starved, I don't know. They shoved a they sock were in their mouth. <laughs> I, don't, I wonder yeah. they might have been gagged so they couldn't talk to each other. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, especially brutal. Oh, damn. Yeah, <laughs> this is sad and tragic. So people touring uh, have also reported smelling a sweet flowery perfume and feeling as if they're being watched is that a scent from the past maybe jasmine i smell i mean could you imagine standing there touring the fort and then a cold wind sweeps past you and there's this lingering scent of jasmine or rose kind of feel like it would be easy to play something off as a spirit but to have multiple senses activated at the same time it would be kind of hard to deny that she wasn't there and that she was I mean, coming the, to visit. The essence, yeah. And you hear that a lot, too, uh, like ghost sightings. And even if you don't, they don't see something, you, you always hear about a, a smell they, that, they, that people smell. And, and even if it's not a conventional, quote, unquote, ghost, it's a spirit. Oh, right. Yeah, that's a better way to put it, of course. Pretty incredible. I would hate to be stuck at the fort, though, you know, where I kind of just lost my my husband and my lover. I don't know. That would be awful. Oh, yeah. Like, you just, you're there with both, right? Yeah. Good point. Yeah. All right. So another notable restless spirit is that of Chief Osceola. All right. So this one, to me, well, it's a bit a bumpier ride. So I hope you're still buckled up. Uh-oh. Osceola was a Native American leader and a member of the Seminole tribe. He was documented as being a cunning chief, a talented strategist, and a rather competent leader. He managed to avoid capture by the military during the Second Seminole War. That wasn't until 1837, while negotiating under a white flag of truce near St. Augustine, he was tricked into custody and he was taken prisoner. He was transported to Fort Castillo de San Marcos, but at the time it was called Fort Marion. Uh, but he was transported along with over 200 of his people. The chief had been in poor health prior to his capture and he was suffering from chronic malaria, tonsillitis, and abscesses. Oh. Once he was incarcerated, prominent physician Dr. Whedon was called to treat Osceola and reportedly the two became friends. In December 1837, about 
20 Seminole warriors escaped from their cell in Fort Marion. And Osceola, who was suffering from failing health, was unfortunately, he was too weak to scale the walls of the cell and escape with his fellow warriors. As a result of this escape, the chief and 237 of his people were transferred, transferred from Fort Castillo to Fort Moultrie in South Carolina. So approximately three months after his capture, the chief died of Quincy, which is apparently it's an infection in the back of the throat. Supposedly, the move to South Carolina did not deter Dr. Whedon from continuing to treat Chief Osceola up until his death. And he was there and allegedly before the funeral, while the good old doctor was preparing the body to lay to rest, he decided that he was going to cut off Osceola's head, wrap it in a scarf, and bring it back to St. Augustine as a souvenir. Why? Why? (laughs) I mean, he also took other personal belongings from the chief to add to his collection as well. Um, But to preserve his head, he placed it in a large jar with alcohol. And again, allegedly, he displayed this in his drugstore. Dr. Whedon, wait, it gets crazier to me. So Dr. Whedon was also rumored to have decapitated and defleshed the skull of Yuki Billy, who is the chief of the Yuchi band. And I, I'm, I hope I pronounced that correctly. But he died in Fort St. Marcos the same year. So it was documented that during that time in our history that Native American body parts were considered valuable trophies. Wow. That's like a special kind of sick. Right? Many people went through great lengths to obtain them and display them. Oh, In my opinion, this is just plain and simply horrific. Like what kind of person does that well yeah and then it i can't imagine like they put osceola's head in a jar which osceola was a bad motherfucker but they put his head in a jar with alcohol but but if you got these other body parts i can't imagine that all these other people would have a way to keep them preserved so you just have rotting flesh parts yeah i don't know but i also don't understand why anybody would (laughs) take a body part to preserve or even to hold on to for the right. bone, you know, like right. it doesn't make any sense to me. Right. So there was speculation that Dr. Whedon preserved the heads for medical research. Okay. But I see no medical journal on file with the <laughs> results of his research. So I have personally deduced that this man was just a psycho. Yeah, that's suspect. Right. Cool. And then so, he could be looking at you. This yeah. I, mm, super sorry. Well, I mean, and that's what I'm saying. Like the by, fact that that was acceptable is bizarre (laughs) it's crazy and i really truly hope that it's not a fact of our history but everything that i read leaned otherwise like this was Mm -hmm. something that people did they collected these things and i just don't understand it i mean i guess collectibles wasn't a thing like this You know, we've, we, as a society, we've always wanted to collect things. So weird. So well, weird. I mean, that's super primal. It's yes, it's, very. It's animalistic. That it's not like was a thing. Yeah, I mean, it was a thing in France too. So maybe I don't know. That was just a, the milieu. <laughs> so much blood. So, you know. 
So many people believe that Chief Osceola still haunts the grounds of Fort San Marco after all of the trauma that his people and then subsequently his corpse was subjected to. But visitors often report seeing unexplained shadows walking in the fort, and some claim to have witnessed a headless apparition. Others, other incidents include unexpected drops in temperature, sudden chills, and then hearing disembodied voices. There's also been a sighting of a white orb that people stated resembled the head of a Native American that floats around the fort. I don't know. I mean, could it be the head of Chief Osceola? Yes. These strange sightings have all been attributed to the chief, but it could likely be any one of the Native Americans that took their last breath in that prison. I mean, many of the Native American prisoners were held in horrible conditions and died inside the fort. Reportedly, among the captives were Chief Whitehorse, Graybeard, and Howling Chief Howling Wolf. I'm not sure, I'm not entirely sure where they perished or if they are suspected to be haunting these grounds, but I did find um, that from 1886 to 1887, approximately 491 Apaches, including women and children who were followers of Geronimo, were held prisoner at the fort, and many as one-third are thought to have perished inside the walls of the fort. So, I mean, any one of those Native Americans could have been these spirits that are roaming around. So can I just interject something here? This whole headless apparition totally freaks me out because <laughs> like it, one of the things that I am most afraid of, even as an adult is sleepy hollow. Oh yeah. Yeah. But right. Can you just say a floating head? Like just the apparition of a floating head is so disembodied that's really really i just creepy. wonder if maybe the body is searching for the head and they just keep like <laughs> going in circles around could, could be yes oh my gosh all right so our bumpy journey is about to take another historically dark turn there is an execution wall near the water that you can oftentimes see a lot of spirit energy at the top of the wall near the gun towers. These spirits being associated with the redcoats and the Spanish turncoats that were executed along the eastern side of the forest facing the Bloody River. So I took some photos that we can post on our socials in reference to what I'm about to explain. Um, on the eastern side of the fort, Outside of the fort walls, there is a standalone structure called a hotshot oven. Its purpose is to heat cannonballs to a white hot heat and then for them to be hurled by mortars at the wooden vessels of an approaching enemy. This particular landmark, both to the right and to the left of the hotshot oven, is where you can find the bullet holes from where prisoners were lined up and executed by the Spaniards. <laughs> So it was either execution or the Spaniards would condemn their victims to the black torture chamber. Now, personally, I'm not sure what I would choose if I were in that situation and I had to choose to be tortured to death or be executed. And the reason why is because it is noted that oftentimes friends or family of the prisoners would be forced to participate in the execution squad. Yeah. I can say 
absolutely, for sure, I would never want to experience the feeling of having to stare down a loved one as they shot me to death. Like, just not something I would choose. Yeah, that public execution was real. Like, that was their deterrent. It's awful. I mean, and hopefully the Spanish were kind enough, and I mean kind being a relative word, to at least have um, had them face the fort walls and not their loved ones. It just gives me the goosebumps to think about it. But anyways, you can walk up to the execution wall and you can see the bullet holes that create the line across the fort. You could touch them. Wow. But even crazier is that you can see the bullet holes that are higher than where the people would have been standing. I assume that some in the execution squad would aim and then they would fire high to give them the solace of knowing that they weren't responsible, responsible for killing their friend or family member. But this is a hub of some serious spiritual activity, both on the ground and high above the walls of the fort. All right. So in addition to those executed, when many of the British redcoats were killed in battles, there was nothing to do with their bodies. So trenches were dug from the fort out and up for blocks where the dead were buried in mass graves. So this especially gives me the creepy feels to think that while I was picnicking with friends on the expansive green grass on the bay, that we were actually eating on on top of a mass grave of British soldiers, Spanish turncoats, and maybe even some Native American prisoners. And so this makes me think about cemetery rules. I don't know if y'all have ever been told what to do or what not to do when you go to the cemetery. I'm not sure who or when this information was given to me. I just know that, and I, you know, I'm not even sure if it's a real thing, but I do know it's something that I will never forget. So when you go to visit a loved one in a cemetery, it's considered disrespectful to walk directly in front of the tombstone or to walk across someone's grave. So when I go to visit my grandmother or my friend's grave, I take this really weird like route to ensure that I don't walk across someone's resting place. And then if I accidentally do walk across like a corner of their grave, like I turn and apologize to the to the area. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say yeah, that's this, my understanding I, was never across. So I don't think I ever heard in front of but definitely never so across walk right in front of the tombstone that's laid at their it's either their head or their feet I, I think it's laid at their head is how they would put the um the body into the ground is mm-hmm. it would be head and then tombstone you would be essentially walking across their head they're uh. saying never to walk across the grave right in front of the tombstone now I don't know how you're supposed to put the flowers down. Like, I know that some people just sit and put the flowers down or they picnic next to their loved one. I don't find that to be disrespectful at all. But if you don't know the person and you're just walking across their resting place, I do believe that that's considered disrespectful. So, I mean, I wonder, the reason why I brought this all up is because I kind of wonder if the spiritual activity that's still going on in the fort is because people are unknowingly walking over this mass grave regularly. So and it's, all un, it's unsettling. Disrespected. Yeah. They're unsettled. I, I don't know. It's just my speculation. Just my little weird 10 cents. No, I mean, I think that that's totally plausible. Yeah, I, I do too. I think there's some areas around this area, <clears throat> areas around this area, um, because we're at the 
the bottom of the Ohio River Valley where all the mound culture was. So we walk all over where they were buried, you know. And so I, and there's some places that are more like hot spots than others, such as like where fiery crashes happen all the time. And I wonder that too. I mean, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. And I've just never, I don't think I've ever put that much thought into it until I just started doing all of this research and started working through the story and then listening to you guys. So, but I did want to say this again, knowing all that we do know now, again, if these absorbent coquina walls could talk, could you imagine <laughs> the truly dark, twisty, and the absolute horrendous story it would tell? I mean, I just think that that's, it's incredible. But I do wonder though, since the walls are so light and they're so porous, what else has it absorbed besides cannonballs and execution bullets? Mm -hmm. Do you think it could have absorbed all yes. of the diseases it's seen or maybe even some DNA from the executed prisoners? I, I just don't know if that's something that's ever been explored. It would be interesting to find out if a historian has actually tested the walls for DNA. Yeah. I mean, we're not professionals, but <laughs> sounds to me like a road trip. And, oh, yeah, yeah definitely. It. Oh, yeah, I'd love to go. But um, I was thinking that, too. I was just thinking that how porous that shell and um, that is. And all those souls that left the body, you know, tortured or executed or whatnot. And they have, um, they yeah, they they're, they're definitely... Uh, become part of the the ground and uh, uh, you know i just think that that's where they well lost there's no way soul. they couldn't right, right become part of it mm -hmm. i mean and unless you're going straight to where anybody else talks about you going uh, yeah scratch that. but like i mean i i do think it's plausible to think that a soul could get stuck in those microscopic air pockets absolutely they're sound, just there yeah. sound of like whales or screaming or and and even just that negative energy because all the trauma yeah, yeah. i mean because you know that and is, that's is energy precisely why they get trapped is right. because of all of the negative energy yeah and it's right it's just concentrated in that one area which is why they say gettysburg is is haunted because a lot of lives and souls were were you know lost there in that one area um yeah i mean if they have unfinished business yeah and they don't know where to go they're just you know roaming around so it brings me into some other reports of paranormal activity includes sightings of spanish soldiers patrolling the grounds um there's also a ghost of a seminal indian who seemingly leaps to freedom from the high fortress walls there's uh, been a sighting of a Spanish soldier who is often spied at sunrise and sunset standing at the edge of the fort looking out to see over the bay, which is kind of interesting because you cannot see the sea from the fort, but that's neither here nor there. In the 18th century, a Spanish soldier was killed by a cannonball while searching for a ring on the grounds. His spirit is said to be seen still roaming around and looking for the ring. 
Some other paranormal activity reports include a light that shines from a watchtower on a stormy night, uh, even though the tower has no electricity. And I actually took a picture of this particular tower um, that we could post for reference. In the dungeon, visitors report a number of sensations, including feeling as if someone with cold hands had touched them, unexplained noises, and people talking. Many have reported having felt goosebumps and feeling ill while walking through. And then, as you were saying earlier, photos taken at the fort often display misty shapes, strange lights, and what appears to be translucent ghosts. Mm. So in other places within the fort, flashes of light have been seen coming from the brass cannons, wisps of smoke, more spirits dressed in soldiers' uniforms, and the sounds of screams, possibly reliving any number one of the battles fought. So it's interesting, you know, Fort Castillo de San Marco has been in action in some form or another for roughly 350 years. It has seen its fair share of carnage and brutality, having survived through the 15 battles, two sieges, bloodshed, starvation, diseases, storms, floods, pirate raids, which is another interesting cool fact about St. Augustine. Uh, it's been a horrific prison, and it's possibly even survived a few hurricanes. Yet, okay. it is currently a thriving tourist destination that is worth a visit. And while it does have a pretty dark history, uh, it has and will hopefully always stand beautiful, strong, and ironically still intact for the most part, protecting the nation's oldest city. It does kind of give me hope that, in a sense, that no matter what you endure, you can still make it through. So I do hope that you take the opportunity to visit and walk one of the two drawbridges across the moat and enter into the past and hopefully get to experience a paranormal visit from a restless spirit. But at the very least, I do think that we need to go on a road trip and we need to go help that poor Spanish soldier find his damn ring. Right. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I just feel so bad for him. I'm down for it. But we don't need to trample on We can hover no. over it. <laughs> yeah, we'll just have to like fly in somehow yeah. and get dropped in <laughs> to the middle of the right. floor. <laughs> You know, I will say the pictures that you sent um, at at night of the fort, they're just super impressive. And um, we should definitely post those so listeners can see that. I just. Um, it's beautiful. It I really can't is. imagine seeing it, you know, in person. It is one of those There's things where you feel connected. You just feel a connection to it. And never even been there before, but I'm like, because you have the beach on one side, but then you have the 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 part. Um, I did go to. I didn't see the fort, but I also saw the uh, the old hospital. I don't know what what that was. It was the cobblestone area. That's all I remember. It's been a while. I think probably that was the old school. Maybe not okay. so much the hospital. Okay. Um, they do have like the entrance to. St. Augustine, the entry gates are right in front of the fort. And then you go right down to the cobblestone road yeah. and right there on the right is 
the old schoolhouse, which is actually a really cool thing to look at. Although they did kind of Disneyfy it a little bit with the animatronic children, which I thought was kind of <laughs> oh, wow stupid. <laughs> um, that it's been a very weird. long time since I've been there, so yeah. I hate that I just said that, and I don't want anybody to not go and experience it. But I do remember the last time I walked through it. It reminded me of that episode of Gilmore Girls where they do Stars Hollow's history, and they have the animatronics. Uh, anyways, sorry. <laughs> Just a random plug there for Gilmore Girls. But um, it has a vibe. It's, it's definitely St. Augustine to me is being on the outside looking in and not living there. It has a lot of really cool history. And, I mean, it should. It's the oldest continuous city in the nation. So right. it's just got a lot of fun stories. And I was happy that I could tell you guys this one because that's all I got for you. I do <laughs> hope you enjoyed this rather bumpy ride to Fort Castillo de San Marcos. I loved it. Yeah, I, this was really good. Yeah, I have a question, though. So is it Henry Flagler? Yes. So Flagler's all over that area. Like it's the. Yes. The he road, actually the, he yeah. brought New York to St. Augustine oh. with the railroad. Okay. He brought um, the the north down to for a vacation spot. So he built that hotel for the Gilded Age high society New York social crowd. Oh, so it was definitely and then. I don't know the history of Flagler College much. I do know that we just toured it for my daughter, and I thought it was fascinating. Um, and I got to lay down on one thing you might learn about me is I, I do some crazy stuff sometimes, but we were doing the tour, and the ceiling was gorgeous. And I asked the tour guide if anybody's ever laid down on the tile, this like perfectly placed tile that they misplaced a couple so it wouldn't be perfect. <laughs> And take a picture looking up and he was like well i haven't had anybody do that but you can and so i laid down and took a picture of the ceiling because it just to me it was, it's it's incredible wow well um, even when we went to new smyrna the main uh thoroughfare was flagler avenue for tourists it's, yeah, it's I mean, all he, over yeah that area yeah he pretty much like made St. Augustine a destination spot. He is the reason why a huge chunk of Florida on that railroad coming down was developed mm -hmm. and why it was made, I don't know, important yeah. visit. Yeah. I don't think it would, if you didn't have a figure like Flagler, I don't think St. Augustine would have remained as continuous as it did, in my opinion. I mean. Interesting. He developed, a he's few, a developer. He had, so he did, um, I think primarily it was railroads. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. Yeah, he's definitely, it, it, there's an indelible mark of Flagler all over that area. Like, and, and it's expansive, right? It's not just in that area. Because, no, it's, it's yeah. a large chunk of Florida. I wish I could remember exactly because I know that there's a town that I believe in, this is just from my poor brain and memory that wouldn't actually be in existence if it wasn't for him he established a particular town that wasn't established wow from my understanding i wish i could remember which one it was and i'm sure my mom if she listens to this episode is going to call me and tell me <laughs> right as they do right yeah. <laughs> like you should have known this <laughs> i also think about our listeners um in other countries and they're like 
oh, those Americans, they're so young. (laughs) (laughs) Our oldest city is the 1500s. Right. But I was going to say before, um, your mom is probably the subject matter expert on this hospital school situation, too. Yeah, I'll have to ask her. Because I know that the hospital... The original hospital in St. Augustine was actually on Main Street where Athalia Lindsley, Athalia Ponzel Lindsley was murdered, which was a previous episode that we did. So I don't know. I do know that the old drugstore is not on St. George Street, but it's around the corner. It's not on the cobblestone. So, I mean, that's just from my memory. I, I'm not entirely sure where there would have been a hospital but okay. we can find out for sure yeah well, when we go down there we'll ride by the Lindsley house it's still there right yes yes that's right okay yep i don't know well that's all i got that was good thank you i was excited my first episode <laughs> by myself <laughs> i hope i did good you did you did amazing that was so good you did. So you did do amazing. And um, we sound uh, And I think good. it's really cool how, you know, growing up there and not having an interest in the history and, and you know, not realizing, because I can relate to that, not caring about, you know, your context where you grew up. But I think it's really cool that you're able to revisit it and look at it through a different lens. And I'm really glad you shared it. And so thank you so much. Yeah, no, it was fascinating because I've, like I said, I've visited the fort many times, but this last time I visited with intent to be able to put context to the story and I took pictures and I wanted to go and feel the bullet holes and I wanted to see if there was any feeling of paranormal activity and it was, it was really interesting to visit with that lens whereas before like i said it was just a backdrop it was the fort right whatever cool it's there yeah they made us go field trips and it was hot and sticky we're going to the fort again right (laughs) you had to move away to appreciate what you had right yeah yeah Uh, yep so we'll have to go and and then go to the lighthouse too yes yeah we'll check that out all right well thank you guys yeah thanks for listening everybody You've been listening to Southern Discomfort. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort, signing off.